Old Testament reading for this third Sunday in Lent comes from Exodus chapter 17, starting with verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the, pe before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called on the name, he called the name the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have all heard, we probably all know, that water is necessary for life. And for years, the western half of the United States in which we live has struggled with drought. Recently, though, California has been in the news because it's being drenched. Incredible amounts of rain and snow pouring down on that state. This last Friday, half of California's counties were in a state of emergency. 17 million people were under flood alerts. Water has come all of a sudden and in buckets. 
In contrast, the desert of Atacama in northern Chile is very dry. In fact, scientists believe that in some parts of that desert, it has seen no moisture for centuries. The reason is that that desert is situated at a high altitude, but in between two mountain ranges, the Andes and the Chilean coast range. And these mountain ranges are high enough that they prevent rain from getting there, but even moisture in the air doesn't get to some of these areas in this desert. The Atacama is likely the driest desert in the world. So scientists go there to study it. They study because they're trying to figure out just how much water is necessary for life. The more arid parts of this desert have no vegetation at all. In fact, it's a place that some go to study uh, what the surface of Mars would be like. Not even, not vegetation, and more than vegetation isn't there. It's the wrong way to say it. <laughs> even microorganisms don't live in that arid climate. And scientist Chris McKay says, when is dry too dry for life? In the Atacama, we think we've crossed that threshold. The soils in the extreme arid core region appear to be the most lifeless on Earth. Where there is water, there is life. Water is an important theme in John's Gospel. It's mentioned in his Gospel, he mentions it, 21 times. Three times more than any of the other Gospels do. And in our lesson today, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from the southern parts, from Judea, up into the northern parts to Galilee. And right in between there is Samaria. Now most really good Jews would go around Samaria, won't even step foot in it. But Jesus, to save time apparently, and maybe for other reasons that we see today, walks through Samaria. And they've gone a long ways. Uh, it's the sixth hour, which means it's about noon, so the sun is high, it's getting warm, maybe hot. They arrive at Jacob's well. And Jesus sends his disciples into nearby Sychar to buy some food. But Jesus stays behind to sit there by the well, to rest, and to wait for someone. And soon, a woman comes to draw some water for the day. She's alone. Traditionally, the women would come in the morning. When it's cooler, before the day begins, they would come and draw whatever water is needed for that day. It'd be a chance for them to catch up on gossip, talk about things, how is your family doing, that kind of thing, laugh together, share the latest news. But this woman's not among them. She comes alone. She's in a dry desert place. And I'm not talking about Palestine or Samaria, obviously. This woman is in a place like the Atacama Desert. She's spiritually parched and dry. She needs what we all need. She needs living water 
springing up within us. She comes now to draw water at this lonely time. She comes because she has a very checkered past. She's an outcast from society. She comes now at the sixth hour so that she won't meet anybody. Every day that she comes, every jar that she fills is a reminder to her that she is an outcast, a reminder to her of her sinful past, of her guilt. She needs a washing, more of a washing than the water that she draws from Jacob's well can give her. And today, as she approaches the well, she sees a man sitting there. He's a stranger, so she just lowers her eyes and goes about her business of drawing water. And Jesus speaks to her, says, give me a drink. It's because of God's mercy that he speaks to us. Jesus could have just sat there, could have just watched her draw her water. He was tired, as John tells us. He could have just closed his eyes, leaned up against the wall, and rested, maybe taken a little nap. He knows this woman. He knows her history. He could have ignored her. He could have left her in her parched desert of her own making, just as God could have left us there in that same dry, dead, desert place. But it was his mercy that kept him there at the well. Mercy and love that must have shone in his eyes as he looked on the woman that he'd been waiting for and asked her for a drink. The woman is spiritually dry and sitting before her is the fountain of life. The woman is spiritually dead in her sins and the author of life, the one who will ultimately pay for all of those sins, sits before her. And he doesn't judge her. He doesn't shun her. He doesn't wall himself off from her in silence. He speaks to her. Maybe it's his manner of speech. Maybe it's the way that he's dressed. But she knows that he's a Jew. And she's surprised that he would speak to her. First of all, because she's a woman. Uh, in that culture at that time there, a man wouldn't even talk to a woman, let alone a woman of Samaria. You shouldn't have any dealings with her at all. We know the, the feelings that go on there between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans, you remember, are sort of half-breed. They were Jews that were left behind at the time of the Babylonian exile, when the Jews were taken off into Babylon, some were left behind, and Gentiles were brought in, and over the years, they intermarried and mixed. And so the blood is not pure Jewish blood. So the Samaritans are looked down on. Not only that, but the Samaritans would not go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Rather, they said, we're fine worshiping here at Mount Gerizim. But Jesus speaks to this woman. It's because, as I said, of God's mercy that he speaks, that God speaks to us, that God has given us his word in the Bible. It's because of his mercy, his love. Same reason we can come to the font 
and hear God's promise to us and receive faith in, in, uh, faith in God, faith in Christ, to receive the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's because, all because of God's mercy that he does all of this. Now it's unusual that Jesus starts talking to her at all, but then he says something really surprising. Jesus tells her that he has water for her, living water. Water that will be a continuous welling up inside of her, satiating her thirst, fulfilling her need. She has come for water to Jacob's well, but Jesus wants to give her living water from God's well. And she asks him, where did you get this? From this well? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He is, of course, greater than Jacob, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses. All things were created through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. That's what John says in the beginning of his gospel. And Jesus hasn't come to argue points with the woman. He's come to be the fountain of eternal life, not just for her, but for all who will believe. She's surprised about this water. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to this well. She's looking for temporary relief from temporal problems. She doesn't yet perceive what her greatest need is. She doesn't yet understand who it is that's standing there before her. She doesn't need a, a salve for her pride or some sort of indoor plumbing that will allow her to avoid her daily dose of humiliation, rejection as she comes to the well. Her great need is our great need. It's a spiritual need. She needs to have her sins, she needs to have her guilt washed away. She needs to repent. She needs a Savior who will shed his blood and die for her. And so Jesus says, go call your husband. Jesus uh, had directed his gaze on her. Now he directs her gaze on her need. At the same time, he begins to do exactly what she asked. She asked for that living water. And this is the beginning of him giving her that living water. Go call your husband. Jesus knows she can't. She doesn't have a husband. She could conceal what's going on. She could pretend that this man was her husband. She could bring the man there. She could pretend that it's all kosher, but instead she says the truth, I have no husband. She doesn't try to get away from Jesus, even though things are getting kind of personal now. She begins a confession, and Jesus completes that confession. You are right in saying you have no husband. And then in his great mercy and love for this woman, who needs his living water, he tells her her own life story. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she says, you're right. You know it all. Nothing is hidden from you. She admits that she needs cleansing. Where can she get it? 
she thinks this Jew sitting here in front of her would say, go to the temple in Jerusalem and be cleansed there. The Samaritans worship here on Mount Gerizim. But Jesus doesn't get sidetracked. Yes, Jerusalem is where the temple is, and salvation does come through the Jews. But more importantly, in front of this woman sits that salvation. She has met today the Savior himself, the one to whom the temple sacrifices point. And to this dry and parched woman, Jesus speaks mercy and grace like water come down from the sky. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Will you worship the Father? God is her Father too, Jesus says. She can be absolved of her sin. She can be washed clean of her sketchy past. Jesus is inviting her to come home. And this is the same gospel that God speaks to us today. It doesn't matter that we are spiritually dry and dead in our flesh. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't even matter our present. It doesn't matter our sins. God speaks to us by his word. He calls us to repent, not just of our outward actions, but to repent of the sins of our heart, too. Jesus says in Matthew, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's our heart of flesh that is the dry, parched, dead desert until we hear the gospel, until we hear how Jesus came and poured out his life so that the floodgates of God's forgiveness could be opened like a raging river that washes away our guilty stains, that makes us clean. Maybe it's a little ironic that on the cross, Jesus cries out for water. He says, I thirst. And then he dies and rises from the dead so that we can have living water welling up within us to eternal life. It's kind of what Lent is all about. Repentance, confession, forgiveness, life. The Samaritan woman came to the well that day hoping to find no one. Instead, she found Jesus. Or better yet, Jesus found her. She was hoping to draw a little water for the day. Instead, she was overwhelmed by the flood of God's grace. And we come to church today, maybe fearful of the world around us, full of our own sin, parched and dry, needing refreshment. And the good news is that Jesus knows your story too, every page of it, every sketchy part. But instead of condemnation, our Lord speaks tenderly to you today. He speaks forgiveness. He speaks words of life. He offers you the right to call God your Father.
And do you know what the last mention of water is in John's Gospel? It's the water flowing from Jesus' side after the spear thrust. Jesus pours out his own life so that we can live forever. So that we can have the waters of baptism. So that we can drench our parched, dry flesh in his mercy and grace. That life that he poured out, that love, is what drives out all fear. Let's take out our hymnals and look at Psalm 46. In the front of the hymnal, all the psalms are there. Most of the psalms are there. I'm going to read Psalm 46 responsively by half verse. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though its waters roar and foam. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. He shall not, she shall not be moved. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. The Lord of hosts is with us. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.